Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience, wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? My next guest says, finding fitness is how I found my family, quote unquote. I believe that to be a powerful statement, especially when you hear him as an adoptee in reunion share a part of his journey. He will explain how he came to see it that way. His name is Michael Knox. He was born in Chicago, my hometown, and his adoption was handled by the cradle during the 1960s. He grew up in California, and if you listen to David from episode 10, you know that they have those things in common. Michael currently resides in Atlanta. When I first heard Michael speak on an NAAP Zoom virtual event, I immediately wanted to invite him to be on the podcast. I didn't know the how or when I'd reach him, but I knew my why. He spoke with confidence that made me aware of his passion to help others. I had a strong sense that his story would encourage and inspire adoptees, especially males, new to the community. Fast forward weeks after being unable to reach Michael, but still having his full name on my vision board, I received an email one morning from him. Yes, he expressed an interest in being a guest without me even asking him. The universe often hears my request and answers it. Allow me to introduce you to someone who will share an energetic appreciation for his physical and emotional transformation over a period of years. He recognizes the synchronicities in his story and how things and people can come together in interesting ways to lean into a space of healing for everyone. Michael Knox. Michael, I'm so glad that you agreed to have a conversation with me for Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. Welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, and I I just want to start off with just a quick story on NAAP. You were on there and you spoke, really engaging with the community. I said, Michael Knox, I wrote your name down and I'm like, I got to have him, at least invite him to be on the podcast Long story short, I'd never found you on Facebook or was able to connect, but I had your name right there. And so when you reached out to me and said you wanted to be on, I can't tell you, like my smile was so big, like visualizing what you want to happen. It does work. So I'm so glad you reached out to me and I'm glad we're going to have this conversation today. Yeah, it'll be fun. I've shared my story so many times with friends and family and you know, people I don't even know. Right. So, and I know you're from sure. Chicago and, yeah. and your adoption was through the cradle. So wherever you want to start with your story. Yeah. Well, the way it worked for me is, you know, I've kind of taught this whole thing for me is two things. I always wondered, but I never searched. You know, I never did the official search. I would do that late night black hole of the Internet with my non-identifying paperwork and that goes nowhere and the other thing that's part of my story is I just say finding fitness found my family so but the story starts of course with my adopted parents my um my father was from a small town in Monmouth Illinois he was the oldest brother of 14 siblings so it was back in those days and he was a high school football and basketball star all state so he was, you know, he was an athlete and he went off to Monmouth College. My adopted mom, Judy, she was the only child of my grandmother, Maxine, who was the only child of Harry. And Harry was extremely rich and wealthy and, you know, successful. So my grandmother needed a legacy. You know, she needed someone to pass on the legacy of the family which I didn't realize that until I 
finding my family, you know, came about and I looked back on time. So Judy went to Monmouth College too, and they got married and moved to Glenview, Illinois. They tried for like 10, 12 years to have a baby with no luck. January 1961, um, they got, went to the Cradle Society. Well, I always say this, they adopted me slash purchased nowadays. I say, I say that now because I kind of look it back on my life and say, yeah, I was purchased for a family legacy. I was brought home two months after I was born. So I was at the cradle for two months. I came home to Glenview, Illinois. And in 1963, two years later, they adopted my sister from the Cradle Society. And, and she's not biological to me. So uh, they were both in Glenview. And with the pressure off, my mom got pregnant. She gets pregnant with my baby sister, who, as Karen and I called her, the chosen one. Anyone who, some, some adopted families have this, some don't, but the baby sister was, you know, the chosen one. Karen and I always knew we were adopted. We, as long, as far back as I can remember, you know, we were told that we were adopted. January of 65, we moved to California. My grandmother moved out right away after us because we were the, her only family. She, you know, she wanted to be with her grandchildren. And I always remember my grandmother telling me stories. She was she was a she was a really nice lady, kind of narcissistic, like my mother. But she was great on reading us stories, Tom Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn, things like that. I remember her doing. But she'd always tell me stories about her her father and how great he was, and passed on and gave me pictures and all kinds of his family history, which was to me was great. You know, I have family history. So from 1965 to basically 1981, we lived in the same neighborhood in Southern California, which had a million kids, a great place to grow up, lots of fun. I'm still in contact with a couple of friends to this day from there, from that neighborhood. The problem was is that mom and dad were basically functional alcoholics. So life was a bit chaotic and dysfunctional in the house, but the neighborhood was fun and great. So we were always out. Dad worked six days a week and was pretty disconnected, that old school Midwest stuff, you know, where you just provided for the family. And mom mom worked, you know, Monday through Friday. So we were latchkey kids, you know, we, we just roamed the neighborhood. So you fast forward a little bit, or no, during the middle of this whole thing when I was about 12, and for the, to this day, we don't really know why. My mother had a huge falling out with her mother, my grandmother, and never talked to her again. And it was it was kind of heartbreaking because grandmother was, you know, kind of really held not didn't hold us together, but she was the loving one. And at that point, we didn't really have any contact with her except for the occasional phone call. There wasn't cell phones back then. And she only lived an hour away, but that was so expensive and we didn't have the money to, to call to call her. And it was always traumatic to call her because she was always in tears because she wanted to be with us. But that's part of the dysfunctional part of the family, I guess. You know, I, like I say, never know. But so as you grow up, you know, here I am, teenage, becoming a teenager with a dysfunctional family. And at that point, I start around 14. I'm doing, I start drinking and doing drugs. You know, to, I'm not the typical teenager. I'm going a little bit faster than the, my friends around me as far as doing, doing uh, you know, going a bad way doing great in school and uh so it was getting more and more dysfunctional you got you know a 16 year old drinking and a mom and dad drinking and one day and i don't remember what the argument was but my mom this was what this was the one that really hit me hard once i found my family and got into adoption because like i said i really didn't care for my whole life but when i look back this one was this one was rough is that my mom uh uh, we had this huge argument and she came running out and she told me to get out of her house and she threw my adoption paper at me and said, go find your real family. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. But we, I don't know if we reckon, we didn't reconcile, but you know, we, I still, I stayed there for a few more years, finished out high school and, you know, then I ended up getting a job in the television industry through a friend which was a great, it was a great job, great learning experience, had a wonderful time working there, worked there for many years. 
And in the, the same year, I met my future wife, which was my wife today, which is amazing that she stuck around with me. <laughs> At times, I wasn't so great. Yeah, I worked a ton and I was still doing, you know, I still drinking and doing drugs and then television industry, the nature. We got married only a year and a half after meeting. Two years later, we had our um, daughter, Jessica. My adoptive dad died one month before she was born. He's been gone for 34 years now. And two years later, we had our, my son, Matthew. And then I had a race car, old race car. I was starting to buy cars, and one night I crashed the car pretty bad. It was also a turning point where I quit drinking, smoking, and doing drugs all in one day. And I can only give, give that to Jesus. You know, I mean, I just turned my life around. Most people can't do that, but it scared the crap out of me, obviously. It was a, it was, it was a rough time for a couple of years. But we got through it, and we had our our second son, Daniel. And we um, it's an interesting story. We had two names picked up for Daniel. It was it was either going to be Daniel or James, and we let our our son pick it. And so he picked Daniel. So I have my three kids. They're all you know all grown up and out of the house now. So in 1995, we moved to Atlanta. You know, here in Atlanta in '96. And at that point, I was supposed to go back to California. There was no way. I wasn't going to, I didn't want to raise my kids in California, not to mention Atlanta's a great place. It's gotten bigger, but it's still a great place. From, so from 1995 to 2018, we're raising a family, enjoying life. But at 38 years old, I weighed in at uh, six foot, I weighed in at two, about 270 pounds. I was in really bad shape with high blood pressure, high cholesterol. I basically found Southern food. Is what I <laughs> Fried everything. It's not hard eat. to do when you're in the South. Yeah. <laughs> no, very easily. So one day um, I'm at Daniel's soccer practice, a big soccer field. When he's young, he's only like four years old. And I said, oh, I'll walk around the field. And so I walked the field and I did that a couple of times. And then like two weeks later, I go, oh, I bet I can run around this field. Well, that was a mistake. <laughs> I didn't move for two weeks after I did that. <laughs> uh, but he started playing on football, which I had, that's a full-time commitment with a young kid. You know, a year later, he's playing football. And here I am having to be at the football practice fields for the entire time. You're not allowed to drop them off. So I'm running the whole time and I keep running and keep running. And then I get in it. I do a 10 K and then I do adventure racing and then I do a little sprint triathlon. And in 2007, I did a half Ironman down in Florida. Time goes on. I did five full Ironmans uh, between 2007 and 2017. Five? And five, five different ones. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Let, it, let, let's know, just take a minute to, because some people, I'm familiar with Iron Man and I know what a challenge from what I've read and heard. But for the audience, t- tell us a little bit about Iron Man. Well, Iron Man is, it's a, you start out with your swim, you do a 2.4 mile swim, and then you hop out of the water and you get on your bike. And you ride 112 miles. <laughs> wow! And then you hop, yeah. And then you hop off your bike and you run a marathon. You say miles. you say hop off like. <laughs> Along, um, I'm just picturing just, that. Like I would be like. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was. It, it takes me about 13 hours to do it. The the pros do it in eight hours. Um, they have a time limit usually of 17 hours. For me, it was always, I wanted to, with all my racing, I always had a mantra of, I just want to have fun and finish strong. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to be crossed finish line and, you know, end up in the hospital. And, you know, a lot of Ironmen end up in the hospital I after bet. the race. Or- I, yeah. yeah. That's impressive, Ironman. I just wanted the listeners to know yeah. what Ironman's about. Yeah. I, I look back and say, I spent a lot of time away from the kids you know, because I was training so much, but I, I incorporated it. Like if there was a soccer match that was going on, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes away, well, I would ride, I'd leave four, five in the morning and ride my bike up there and then hang
hang out for the soccer game and throw it in the back of the car and come back home with the kids. So I incorporated it in family life. You know, every time there was soccer practice or whatnot, I was running and I was there. So I tried to keep it, you know, that I was part of my family. So, right. Yeah. You know, so, you know, now I'm 56 years old and I'm down to 195 pounds, wow. you know, and all I want to do is talk to people about Ironman and tell them, you know, you can do it, you know, you can live healthy and enjoy life, you know, and if you put your mind to it, you know, I, you know, not a hundred percent, but a lot of people can, I've heard story after story, but at that point, you know, now what am I doing in 2017? I am listening to podcasts left and right about health and fitness, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I do remodeling and contracting so I can listen all day long if I want. And I hear one day on one of the podcasts, that if you do 23 in me and you take the raw data and send it to another company, it'll tell you what vitamin and minerals work best for you based on the raw DNA. So I said, Oh, I'm in doing this. So I do that. And the thing was is that it came back and, you know, I did all the health data on, on it because I didn't know. And if I didn't have any, you know, any markers or anything according to 23 and me on the health side and didn't have anybody that was really close to me on the, uh, you know, relative side. I always looked at that, you know, matches, DNA matches. But a side note, I did do um, Ancestry when it first came out, you know, a long time ago. That was a long time ago, just to see where I was from. I always wondered, you know, but never really searched. And there, I am 45%, according to them, what was it, uh, Russian Finnish. And a big circle for Ancestry. Well, I get 20, 23 and me back and I am like 45% Finnish on a little town in Finland, you know, cause they've got it, you know, it's so much better. And I got both of them. And there is one guy, Jeff, who is a four, 4.8 match, you know, family match on the DNA on both of them. Yeah, and I'm thinking, well, 4.8 is nothing. I didn't even know. I didn't, I didn't understand. June 28th, 2019, I get an email from 23 and me with a new medical you know, study they did. So I log in and I look at it and it's like, no, I don't have this problem, whatever it was. And I go, okay, I'll check the family connections. And there it is. There's Chuck at 29%, my nephew, Allie, 16% first cousin, Megan, 10% first cousin, Ben, 8% first cousin. And I go, wow. You know, <laughs> that, yeah. that was a shocker to, you know, actually there's a nephew. So you, prior to that, had not wanted to connect with birth family? Didn't, didn't even care. As the story goes on, you'll, you'll know how much I didn't really bother me. No, it didn't, it wasn't part of my lexicon. I didn't, I didn't care I was adopted. You know, I mean, I didn't talk about it. I wasn't, and that's, you know, like you said, a, I've listened to a lot of adoption podcasts now, and I understand a lot of people want to know from the beginning, and I never did. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the letter to Chuck. I wrote it to all three of them within 23andMe. You know, they have their own messaging service. And just said, I want to, you know, if you, know, if you want to connect, I'd love to connect. I don't know anything about myself. And a week later, I get a phone call from Florida. And it's Chuck. And he goes, and I said, hey, According to 23andMe, we might be related. And Chuck asked me if I'm sitting down. And he and I go, matter of fact, I am. He goes, I'm your brother. And really, time kind of stopped right there for me. <laughs> you know, because first of all, 23andMe had a, a nephew. And I never had a brother. So, but we had a 45-minute conversation where he's, I don't remember a lot of it, but yeah, most of it. He, but he did say, I have a birth mother that's alive and lives near him, and she wants to meet me, or talk to me at least, and I have a sister, and she's in, she's in Florida too. The one thing I do remember is he said, your birth mother wants to know if you've had a good life. And we have a gym downstairs, and that's where I was, and I looked in the mirror. It was a rough question because, you know, you're going, have you had a good life? And here's the lady that wants to know that gave birth to you. It's like, wow. And I looked at myself and I said, yeah, I've had a really good life. Just tell her, I go, tell her this, if it helps her. I go, for years, all of the Ironman training I did, riding that bike, 
I'd always say to my kids, hey, if I get hit out on the road riding my bike and get killed, I don't want you to be sad about what ifs because I've had a really good life and I'm proud of you guys. And I just don't want you to lament me being gone and wish I had more. I've had a great life. So that's how I told him to tell my birth mother to say, lives are up and down, but you know I've had a great one. So we ended the call and he said, well, um, we're going out. My family and I are going out of town for a few days, so I'll call you next week. And I couldn't, I couldn't wait. You know, I just, I said, like, I think the next day I texted him and said, hey, I'd love to talk to my sister. Right. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. But that first night after I hung up, I called my adopted sister. That's what made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I told her. She jumped. She wanted to know everything. and I couldn't tell her much, but she did say she was going to do 23andMe right then and there because she had never searched either. Now, let, and, me, let me just ask you this. Your adoptive parents, did they discourage you at all growing up from searching or were they supportive? I know I you weren't know. interested, but did you get a sense I from was, them? I wasn't interested. And if Karen went to them and talked to them, I wouldn't know. You know, I've never... I, I'd never asked Karen if she talked to him about it, but you know, I mean, obviously neither one of, she had never done 23 and me. So neither one of us were really into the idea of searching until this all happened. Yeah. Then I called my daughter and she was all excited. And I, you know, I got some text messages as I'm talking to her and I hang up the phone and look at it. And this is where time stops because it's the college pictures of my birth mother and her name Mary, and a college picture of my birth father, James. And I'm looking at the pictures, and I turn to my wife. All I said to her, and I don't know why I said it, but she remembers this well, I said, I was always searching. So mm-hmm. somewhere in my subconscious, I always wanted to know. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. But I was in a state of shock. You know, I didn't sleep all night. I mean, now I had names. I had names and pictures. So mm-hmm. now the internet actually the internet became more of a black hole my my birth father could have been one of i started going that it could have been one of 22 23 different guys you know when you start going down there but the uh next morning my believe it or not my daughter she's you know obviously better on the social media world she said dad this is your family and i look i'm looking at it i'm looking at it and i go i find I, I find my half sister in Florida and I'm looking at this girl the picture of it I'm going it looks like a ghost I, I that's all I could think of and I must have stared at it for a couple of hours but I didn't sleep for probably two nights you know after this all happened but the next day uh sure enough my brother my half brother texted the sister and I get a, a text message she goes are you ready for a phone call <laughs> and he said sure and this is where I first discovered the word uh, nature versus nurture. So my half-sister is 10 years younger than I am almost to the day. We're only 11 days apart. We were both kind of problem kids in high school. We both loved the water. We're both sw- we were both swimmers in high school. Probably could have been collegiate swimmers, but because we were having too much fun partying and whatnot, that didn't happen. Uh, we both loved paddling, you know, paddleboarding, surfing, mountain biking, we both competed in triathlons. Now, she did small ones. I did big ones. She's a diehard Death Leopard fan, the rock uh-huh. and roll group. <laughs> right. And so you're seeing, yeah, you're seeing nature just popping up. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. So she's gone to all, almost all their concerts when she was young. And if my wife calls me, her ringtone is a Death Leopard uh, <laughs> ringtone. Wow. We, both, we both have hearing loss. We both were hearing aids because it's hereditary on my mom's, on my birth mother's side. Mm. And at some point I told her about my adoption paperwork, that it was, you know, what it said on it, you know, baby boy Ponzer and blah, blah, blah. Because what was interesting there is I, just like I've heard in another podcast somewhere, I had my birth mother's name the whole time. It was on the court paperwork. Yeah. You heard that on Lynn's episode. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was just, you know, that blew me away. Mm. Then she said, when she was young, when she was first marriage and she was having a baby, by this point, my birth mother and her husband had 
had a divorce and she was living with her, 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 her dad. He knew about me and he told her, uh, you have a half brother out there somewhere, but you can never tell your mom I told you. Mm. She actually went and purchased, you know, books on tape because the internet wasn't there on how to find a family member. And I couldn't believe it. You know, my heart felt so warm because she was searching for me. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and she said, I always, whenever I was in a crowd and adoptees can relate to this, I always looked around and wondered if you were there. And how many times do you sit in an airport or somewhere and look around and go, I wonder if I'm related to that person, you know? But we ended the phone call and she said, well, I'm going to friend you on Facebook. And by the way, she said, mom wants you to friend her on Facebook. And she said, you know, like not my mom. It was like our mom. Right. All her, our mom. And was, which was really heartwarming. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So the next day on a quiet Saturday morning, I'm 58 years old. And I got to say hello to my birth mother for the first time. Yeah, I didn't sleep the night before. I all I kept trying to think was what was I going to say, and what I what I what I think I said. I tried to say it was I just want to thank you for the choice you made, because otherwise my three kids wouldn't be here, and they're pretty good people, you know. I you know I'm okay, but my children are much better, and if you didn't make the choice you did back then, they wouldn't be here. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to thank. You. Yeah, we talked for about two hours a lot of different things. I, you know, she told me her story after she, she was, um, she got pregnant when she was a sophomore in college and she went back to college and got a degree in uh, psychology, got married. And she actually went on and was working in Alabama, working as an adoption coordinator for the state of Alabama. Go figure. Mm. I guess you got to connect. So yeah. And then so they, she had two kids, my half brother and sister got divorced. She moved to Vermont. She's quite the lady. She moved to Vermont. She became an EMT. She had a, you know, a new husband. From there, she became the first female flight paramedic in Vermont. And at 50, uh, now her ex-husband bought, died and the kids, you know, her two kids are down in Florida. So she moves down to Florida and she doesn't want to be a paramedic. So she goes back to college and gets her nursing degree and becomes a ER, uh, an ER nurse down in Florida. Wow. Right, which is interesting because my daughter always wanted to be a nurse, and no one in the family, you know, on on my wife's side at least, is medically inclined. <laughs> wow, um, your daughter's a nurse practitioner now. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty big. So one of the big questions for me, for her was, and this is how disconnected and unknown I was, is I go, you know, why did you make the choice you did? Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, I didn't even realize abortion was illegal to begin with. <laughs> That's how much I didn't know. Her father, my grandfather, he was a doctor and my grandmother was an, and her mother was a nurse, mm-hmm. but she was an alcoholic. She died young of alcoholism, which was interesting because my non-identifying paperwork was accurate. Very, very accurate. She doesn't know. We don't know who filled it out, whether it was her father or, you know, or whatnot, but it was it was quite accurate. On a side note, Karen, my adoptive sister, hers was a complete fabrication because she found her, her family. Now, it might be accurate on her mother's side. She's never found her birth mother, but on her on her birth father's side, it was a nothing was right. You know, that not identifying was very, very accurate because now I'm starting to know all the family history on the mom, at least for the mom's side. It was very, very accurate. And then she had talked to my sister about the paper, my court paperwork saying baby boy Ponzer. And she goes, you know, she goes, I didn't name you. And I wasn't really ready for that question. I didn't think about that. And she goes, would you, would you like to know? And I said, well, yeah, sure. And she goes, your given name was Daniel which is the same as my son. Mm, isn't that something? That's what we talk about, synchronicities. Yeah. 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 Well, there's even more to that. So You got a lot uh, of them? <laughs> yeah, there is. And so the aftermath of that, I thought I was going crazy. Yeah, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel sad, happy, mad. I was just numb. Mm. You know, I talked to everyone a couple of times. We traded pictures. I even made an appointment with a therapist 
and little did I know about adoption competence therapists back then, you know, and I sat down with her and she goes, wow, what an amazing story. And I go, well, that doesn't help me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I just need to go to Florida. Uh, and so within two weeks, we have a camper trailer. I, we loaded it up. I made arrangements with everyone and drove down there. My half sister was going out of town, but we were going to meet for breakfast and met her at in restaurants for breakfast. Of course, we didn't eat anything. But when I first sat down and looked in her eyes, I go, I said to her, the first thing I said, I go, it's real. And she goes, yes, it's real. The the phone calls, the pictures, the whatnot, it, it, it was amazing. But I, what I what I gathered, what I figured out is it didn't make it real until mm-hmm. I, when I was with her. I'm glad and, you shared that because yeah. I, like, I understand it even better hearing you say it. I get that. Get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it was, it, it was, it was great. I mean, we had, you know, like I said, we talked and we, you know, for a couple hours, she was going, like I said, she was going out of town. I didn't understand this at the time. I do now because I've done so much research into adoption, but she, she gave me a hug. We took a few pictures and she started to walk away. And I was just standing there with my wife. She got about halfway across the parking lot and I'm just watching her walk away. And she turned around and ran back and hugged me even tighter and longer. Mm. I don't know why, but it was such an emotional hug. I've never felt it anything in my life. And of course, now I understand I was, it was that separation anxiety, you yeah. know, I was, and, and she sensed that you needed why, that, right? For her to stop and come but I, back. I didn't know why I felt that, but the way she did it, and it just, it was, so obviously I'm, I'm very connected to my half-sister when it comes to emotional stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But that afternoon, you know, I did the, from what I've understood to be the moral, the big mistake, I actually went to my birth mother's house because that's where she said, come on over. You're supposed to be in a neutral location. That's what I, oh, but what did I know back then? <laughs> and, you know, she was out in her front patio playing in her garden. And I said, is that Mary? And she goes, you must be Michael. And we, I gave her a great big hug and she said, thank you. And, you know, for, I, I guess because of the hug, I guess she didn't know what was going to happen. We talked for two, three hours. I guess we just catched up, you know, you're always catching up. You're telling stories. You know, I don't even remember. I do remember that it turns out, you know, I told you I crashed my sport, my race car. Turns out she owned the exact, I had two different race cars and she owned the exact same two race cars when, when they were brand new. I owned them 30, when they were 30 years old. Mm. So uh, it was kind of fun. You know, we found that out and then. Yeah, then we were going, uh, we were, you know, planning, running out to go to dinner, and she goes in and freshens up, and she comes out, and she stand, she comes out, and she goes, you know what I feel about this, you know, this whole thing, and, and whatnot, and I'm going, oh boy, here it comes, you know, this is really nice, I'm glad I got to meet you, but it's just too much, or, you know, I'm waiting for something like that, and she says, I finally feel complete. Mm. So, yeah, I wasn't rejected after all. It was a great afternoon. Right. Yeah. So the next day, my brother comes over to my my half-brother and his family, his wife and two kids come over, and they, we yap away and talk the whole afternoon, you know, order pizza and talk and get more stories. But what I found out later that that my half-brother and sister work together. They're very, very close. You know, and I didn't know that at the time, you know. And she was texting Chuck. Chuck is my half-brother. I guess every half 15 minutes going, what's going on? How's it going? What's happening? Blah, blah, blah. And he's not responding. So she finally, after two or three hours, you know, texts my, her niece, our niece. And she, the niece replies, she goes, dad's just talking. I've never seen him talk so much in my entire life. <laughs> Isn't that so, something? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was fun. Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, and this is you know, 2018, right? That was, yeah, 2018. So it's yeah. kind of still new, like three years. Yeah, no, it was actually 2019. Okay. Years, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's still um, still new. Yeah. Yeah, it's still new. Yeah. That 
well, a couple of months go by, and in August, I I was thinking that I'm working, and I'm going, wow, if Ben, my half-brother's son, is 8%, and that guy Jeff, who's on Ancestry and 23andMe, is 4, maybe he does know something. So I contact Jeff, and he gets back to me right away, and he goes, he goes, yeah, I know that do that last name, you know, birth father's last name. And he goes, that's my cousin. And she's been on Ancestry. You should go on Ancestry and check out. See, she's been looking around on things. And I'll, I'll call her. And I go, well, I don't know if you want to call her. And he goes, no, no, I'll be happy to. It's like, okay. Because I actually, when I, he said call him. And I talked to him that day. And so I sit down and I'm having lunch. And I, log, I actually log on to my Ancestry account on the phone, which I haven't been on in years. And I go into the message, and I completely had forgotten this. Back in 2016, I got an email from Sue saying, hey, who are you? You know, we're very closely matched. And I said, I don't know. I'm adopted. Love to know if you know anybody. And she goes, okay. And she sent a note back. I, you know what? Don't know anything, but I'll keep looking. And I said, okay, great. And completely forgot about it. Again, I wasn't really searching that hard, right? It turns out. It's my birth father's sister. So aunt, wow. I could have found out in 2016 about my, you know, the paternal side of my family. <laughs> if mm -hmm. I, if I really dug into it. Mm -hmm. Right. So she immediately, you know, I go back as I'm, as I'm scrolling through, there's a brand new text message from Sue. Have you been talking to a Jeff? So what I found out, well, you know, I found out everything. My birth father, um, James, who was, remember my son, who he was going to be either named Daniel or James. I was Daniel and my birth father was James. <laughs> you know, you can't make it up. Yeah. And his wife is still alive. James passed away almost 10 years ago now. I have four half brothers and a half sister on that side and seven aunts and uncles of, from my birth father. And they're all still alive. So I said that, you know, Sue was, she was, she, she didn't know anything about me. And so she was really worried. She didn't know what to do. And the next morning I said, you don't need to say anything. Don't, don't do anything. I mean, you don't have to tell anyone we talk because I don't know if I'm ready to do deal with this. And she had already made you know, a lunch appointment with my half brother. And she told me, you know, seven days later, I'm talking to my half brother. So here I am. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, the big concern in the family at this point, best we can tell, nobody knows. James got married very in 1960, and I was conceived in 1960. So as the story goes, uh, James and his high school sweetheart went off to different colleges. James was a senior. Mary Mary was a sophomore when they had a, they had a quick quick night right. uh, in May, and he went home proposed to his high school sweetheart. Uh, they got married in October at the same time as Mary's going off to the, you know, unwed mother's home. And I'm born in January. My birth father, you know, gets married and his new wife gets pregnant right away. So my half brother and I are nine months apart from each other. Right. I'm, I'm nine months old. Yeah. And so the million dollar question is, did he know, you know, that's, right. you know, but well, did Mary it, say she told him? No, no. That's just one of those things that hasn't, hasn't been bridged. You haven't asked her yet. Yeah. Okay. I, you know, she doesn't want I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to, you know, right. I don't, I don't want to. So, and the other problem was, is that his wife is still alive and believe it or not, she's, she's adopted and mm. she was adopted. A lot of the listeners will know this. She was adopted from the Tennessee Children's Society, which is basically was where they stole children off the street, sold them. Uh, back in, I think, between 1920 and 40 or something like that in Memphis, Tennessee. They actually paid a search angel and she found her family. And here, you know, here she is adopted. So finally, they didn't know whether to, to ask her if she knew. You know, that was the one person they didn't, you know, they didn't ask any of the aunts or uncles. They only told, the only people that knew were my half-brothers and sisters about me. And finally they asked, they finally said a month later, they asked, they, you know, asked their mom if she knew anything about me. And of course, she didn't. Mm -hmm. So 
store was open. They asked all the brothers, our aunts and uncles, anyone they could, and nobody knew anything about me. And at that point, the cat's out of the bag. But yeah, I'm a secret on the you know on the on the uh, parental side. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So then, you have yeah, been perfect. yeah. So both sides, you've been in reunion for we'll say two years. Yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. and. Yeah. And so it sounds like before all this kind of just took off, you hadn't done any reading. You weren't connected to the adoption community. No. At this point, you know, I had not done anything like that. Well, because remember, this all happened in two months. Everything was overwhelming over and over. And actually right then and there, that was after I got back from Chicago was, you know, it was, you know, I never cared about adoption, but it was now all I could think about when I woke up. And I said, oh adoption podcasts and I searched and like oh look at all of this and then I did Facebook adoption groups and I got into that started realizing reading these stories going yep that's me listening to the podcast yep that's how I feel it was always you know all these things that were you know I was learning in the last basically last two years and I still listen to every adoption podcast that comes out I, I learned something and it's, it's, it's healing. It, it's made, as I tell people, I've become self-aware. I understand and I do, I do not bond. And I never understood that. You know, I felt like maybe I was cold or unloving, but no, I mean, this is an adoption problem. There's a lot of different things. I, my wife always thought I was a wonderful guy friend because I would always keep in touch with coworkers and friends from 20, 30 years ago. Well, I come to realize that's separation anxiety, which I didn't know. You know, I can't, I can't, I learn more and more about every day about, you know, this whole thing of adoption, you know, and it's, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's very healing and soothing to hear some of the, you know, some of the stories. I mean, I listen to, you know, a lot of your listeners might listen to Haley Radke's one and one person's, she was doing a Zoom call with someone and she said like, oh, I see you're a rocker. And then she goes, oh, yeah. And I go, I didn't realize it. I've rocked my whole life. My daughter pointed that out. I just stand there and rock. And right. I guess some of them do. Yeah. Yeah, it's so. really, and I'm glad you shared that. Uh, you sounds like your first introduction was through podcasts because you had been listening to podcasts for fitness. So you were very familiar with podcasts. And so you go there, you find Adoptees On with Haley, and you find Who Am I Really with Damon Davis. And you do start to learn a lot listening to other adoptees share their journeys. Yeah. No, no, I do, without a doubt. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, this has been a, you know, it's been a whirlwind of two years, but it's been, for me, it's been a real blessing. And everyone has been so wonderful. You know, I get phone. I got phone calls from aunts and uncles. You know, just saying we want to welcome you. And you want to know, you know, and they want to know who I am and you know whatnot. I mean, I talk to my birth mother probably four or five times a week. You know, mm. we're, and I would even say it's on a loving level. You know, it's it's amazing. Do you um, think you're for, still in the honeymoon stage, or has I could be. I understand that. I it very much could be, but. Um, she calls me, you know, I call her, I mean, I don't feel like I have to call her, but we, we just connected, you know, I feel connected, you know, right. without a doubt as far as, you know, how I feel and whatnot. I mean, you know, last summer we did a whole family, we did a family vacation down in Florida, my family, and I actually got a room for a separate room for my mother. So a birth mother, so she could come over and meet her, you know, her grandkids and great grandchild. Cause I have a, I have a grandchild now. And so she got to meet everyone. That was a, a lot of fun. She was only there for, you know, a night, but she had dinner with everyone. What's really interesting is that my birth mother is a master gardener and my wife lives and breathes her garden. <laughs> and and my, my wife even has gone down to Florida and stayed with her. My wife didn't have a connection to my birth, my adoptive mom at all. Right. And then, yeah, and then, this last year, I turned 60 into, you know, this year. And believe it or not, uh, my half sister turned 50. We all rented a big house down in Florida. And so my half brother, half sister, myself and my wife and ma, uh, birth mother, we all went together for a three day, you know, birthday reunion kind of trip. That's, so, that's, yeah. I'm so happy for you to be yeah. in reunion. Then, yes. But the, um, 
the, the most recent thing, this is all in the last 12 months, but the most recent thing that happened that was really, this was the one that really got, got me going was uh, I found my baby vaccination book. And it turns out that I only live, my, my adopted mom and dad only lived two miles away from where my birth father had a home and had his family. Mm. So when they brought when they brought me home and then they brought their son home, we were only two miles away from each other. Right, that's close. And, and that's close. And then here's what happens even more. More is Steve, uh, my Steve, who is my half brother on dad's side. He was born in '61. I was born in '61. My sister was in '63, and Steve's brother is in '63. And it turns out all of us have the same pediatrician. So, so it's likely it's, you all were yeah, crossing paths. Yeah. And what, what's more interesting is that since my birth father was a, I mean, my birth grandfather was a doctor in a small town, you know, Glenview was a small town back then. What's the chances that they, he knew the pediatrician and maybe she knew all the story about, you know, I don't know. Right. You know, no one's alive. But then the one that's even more interesting is that since everyone lived in Glenview and adopted mom and dad loved to drink, and of course, birth father, birth grandmother and grandfather loved, you know, loved their alcohol, it turns out that my birth father, they, my, on the birth father side, my grandfather, he owned the Glenview Inn, which was only a, a mile away from everybody. And it wasn't an inn. It was a bar and restaurant. What's the chances that they all, they might have all known each other or paths, but there's no one to ask. You know, everyone's gone. So. Right. Well, I want to really honor your time here. And so I got two more questions. And the first one is, um, have you gotten your original birth certificate? I filled out the paperwork and haven't sent it in because I want to see the name Daniel on it. I, I don't know why I'm procrastinating, but you know, I haven't because it was actually on one of those zoom meetings where some, I, that, that might be the one you and I crossed paths on was I said, you know, I called cook County and they said, no, we can't send it to you. And somebody, somebody from the zoom meeting sent me the information on how to get it because that was not the right answer. Right. You can so I have that paperwork. One of these days, I'll I'll send it in. I know you will. I have another yep. guest that Mark. He says, "No, I haven't, Jen, and I don't know what's going on about that because he's from New York, and you know, New York changed their adoption law in 2019. So, yeah, he's still like not done it, <laughs> but he will, as you will too. And so, is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to share? The only last thing is that uh, just to let everyone, you know, any other adoptees, um, we, Tiffany and I are, and one other girl just joined us last week. We just started an Adoptees Connect group in Atlanta. Adoptees oh, that's Connect. fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Tiffany, Tiffany got a hold of me and it was via the, one of those Zoom meetings. Uh, actually, Lynn, who you interviewed, is actually who got Tiffany and I connected to, Tiffany and I connected. And so we've had two Zoom calls so far, and we'd like to, you know, invite anyone else who wants to join in. You can find it on Facebook, you know, Adoptees Connect Atlanta. Right, so, and so. I and I will definitely include that in the show notes. Okay. I yeah, I, that's great, Adoptees Connect. I, I, when I hear about those groups forming, uh, I think it's fantastic. Pam, yeah, Pam we, created we, a really wonderful thing there. Yeah, a girl from uh, Guatemala joined us. She's an adoptee, but she's in Atlanta here. And it's the first time she's ever talked to adoptees. And I felt like, I, I, you know, it was nice to be able to help someone, you know, right. tell her that validate their, their feelings. That's you know? right. Yeah, that's so cool. And Oh, Michael, thank you so much for having this conversation with me. And I know there's going to be more than one listener that will benefit from you sharing your story. Yeah. I hope people, I hope people do, you know, I hope people can, you know, maybe find it that they want to connect with their, you know, mine's been a good story. I, you know, I have to admit, I, I very much enjoy, you know, my reunion, even though I did it the wrong way. Well, <laughs> no, we won't say it was wrong. It was yeah, what it was. Yeah. And, and I think it's great. 
Yeah. So, but no, thanks for thanks for taking the time. I I enjoy telling the story. I enjoyed Michael's enthusiasm in connecting the dots of how first improving his health steered him in the direction of being in reunion with birth family members and having questions answered about his beginnings. I frequently think of this idea that taking the time to work on oneself starts a momentum of improving other relationships. I like how Michael shared the synchronicities that popped up all over the place. The names, Daniel and James, his daughter becoming a nurse like his birth mother, and his sister being a star athlete like him. Also, I especially like knowing that his wife bonded with his birth mother as her daughter-in-law. They both love gardening. So cool. Michael wanted me to be sure and let you know that unfortunately didn't make our recording is the genetic mirroring he saw in his birth family was a powerful and beautiful experience that deeply impacted him. If you're in reunion, then you can most likely relate to that. I can't say it enough. When you know your why, the how and when will take care of itself. I so wanted to have this conversation with you, Michael, for an episode on this podcast before you even knew. And in some way, in due time, that may never fully be understood, you received my request and said yes to create the opportunity. And for that, I thank you so much. One last thing. If you're an adoptee in Atlanta and want to join a dynamic group, then check out Adoptees Connect Atlanta. I'm so excited for them. A shout out to Pamela Caranova for creating the chance for groups to form wherever adoptees are located in the world. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash adopteeland. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.